Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Mark 13, verses 32 to 37, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 13, verses 32 to 37. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is the word of the Lord. These verses conclude Mark's report of our Lord's prophecy on the Mount of Olives. They ought to form a personal application of the whole discourse to our consciences. We learn from these verses that the exact time of our Lord Jesus Christ's second advent is purposely withheld from his church. The event is certain. The precise day and hour are not revealed. Of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven. There is deep wisdom and mercy in this intentional silence. We have reason to thank God that the thing has been hidden from us. Uncertainty about the date of the Lord's return is calculated to keep believers in an attitude of consistent expectation and to preserve them from despondency. What a dreary prospect the early church would have had before it if it had known for certain that Christ would not return to earth for at least 1,500 years. The hearts of men like Athanasius, Chrysostom, and Augustine might well have sunk within them if they had been aware of the centuries of darkness through which the world would pass before their master came back to take the kingdom. What a quickening motive, on the other hand, true Christians have perpetually had for a close walk with God. They have never known in any age that their master might not come suddenly to take account of his servants. This very uncertainty has supplied them with a reason for living always ready to meet him. There is one caution connected with this subject which must not be overlooked, We must not allow the uncertainty of the time of our Lord's second advent to pervert our giving attention to the unfulfilled prophecies of Scripture. This is a great delusion, but one into which, unhappily, many Christians fall. There is a wide distinction to be drawn between dogmatical and positive assertions about dates and a humble, prayerful searching into the good things yet to come. Against dogmatism about times and seasons, our Lord's words in this place are a standing caution. But as to the general profitableness of studying prophecy, we have no plainer authority than the Apostle Peter's words, You do well that you take heed to prophecy. And the Apostle John's words in Revelation, Blessed is he that reads. 2 Peter 1.19 and Revelation 1.3 We learn in the second place from these verses, What are the practical duties of all true believers in the prospect of the second coming of Jesus Christ? Our Lord mentions three things to which his people should attend. He tells them plainly that he is coming again one day in power and in great glory. He tells them at the same time that the precise hour and day of that coming are not known. What then are his people to do? 
In what position of mind are they to live? They are to watch. They are to pray. They are to work. First, we are to watch. We are to live always on our guard. We are to keep our souls in a wakeful, lively state, prepared at any time to meet our master. We are to beware of anything like spiritual lethargy, dullness, deadness, and listlessness. The company, the employment of time, the society which induces us to forget Christ in his second coming, should be marked, noted, and avoided. Let us not sleep as others do, say the apostle, but let us watch and be sober. 1 Thessalonians 5.6 Second, we are to pray. We are to keep up habits of regular communion and communion with God. We are to allow no coldness to come in between us and our Father in heaven, but to speak with him daily so that he may be ready at any moment to see him face to face. Moreover, we are to make special prayer about the Lord's coming, that we may be found in peace without spot and blameless, and that our hearts may at no time be overcharged with the cares of this life, so that the day may come upon us unawares. 2 Peter 3.14 and Luke 21.34 Third, we are to work. We are to realize that we are all servants of a great master who has given to each man his work and expects that work to be done. We are to labor to glorify God, each in our particular sphere and relation. There is always something for everyone to do. We are to strive, each of us, to shine as a light and to be the salt of our own times and to be faithful witnesses of our master and to honor him by conscientious and consistency in our daily lives. Our great desire must be to found not idle and sleeping, but working and doing. Such are the simple injunctions to which our Lord would have us attend. They ought to stir up in our hearts of all professing Christians great self-examination. Are we looking for our Savior's return? Do we long for his appearing? Can we say with sincerity, Come, Lord Jesus? Do we live as if we expected Christ to come again? These are questions which demand serious consideration. May we give them the attention to which they deserve. Does our Lord require us to neglect any of the duties of life in the expectation of his return? He requires nothing of the kind. He does not bid the farmer neglect his land, or the laborer his work, the merchant his business, or the lawyer his calling. All he asks is that baptized people should live up to the faith to which they have been baptized, should live as penitent people, live as believing people, live as people who know that without holiness no man can see the Lord. So living, we are ready to meet our Master. Not living in this way, we are neither fit for death, judgment, nor eternity. To live in this way is to be truly happy, because it is to be truly prepared for anything that may come upon the earth. Let us never be content with a lower standard of practical Christianity than this. The last words of the prophecy are particularly solemn. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we have just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, do you see how God's holding back the day and time of Jesus' return is wisdom? Although we may admit we would like to know, doesn't not knowing keep us pressing on in faithfulness? 
And second, is there evidence of watching, praying, and working in our lives? If not, what steps will we take to make it so? It does strike me as interesting in how the Lord's Prayer, Jesus sets an example for doing the first of these two things.